Hello and welcome to the Vorthos Podcast. I'm Jay Anelli, a Vorthos writer with Gathering Magic, and with me is Carrie Barkett. Hello. And Andrew Weissel. Hi. Why don't you two talk about yourselves real quick? Carrie, who are you? Um, I do a lot of Vorthos stuff on Twitter, formerly of Gathering Magic. Might return there. Andrew, what's, you, what's up with you? Hi, I'm Andrew. Um... I've done a lot of stuff on Tumblr with my blog, Sarpedian Empires Volume 8. Uh, you can find me a lot on Twitter at underscore SEV8. Um, and I edit and write and manage content for Magic the Gathering Salvation. All right. And I, uh, as I mentioned, I'm a writer for Gathering Magic. I've got a blog on Tumblr as well called Vorthos J. Um, I tweet a lot like an idiot and uh, <laughs> i used to write for um, magic the gathering salvation as well so it is february 2018 and our next major set is dominaria so i think what we wanted to start with was just a, a brief history of dominaria so you two i'm gonna i'm gonna go through this off the cuff and you two uh Br- brief is in quotation marks but we'll make it as short as possible Yes. <laughs> All right. So the the oldest known event is something called the Elder Dragon War, which happened something like twenty five thousand years ago. We don't really know what caused it. All we know is that there were five survivors. Uh, the only one of them to make it into the modern day is Nicol Bolas, um, who became a planeswalker in the process. Sometime after he became a planeswalker, he du- dueled this demonic leviathan, and killed it creating like the first rift on dominaria uh he like just feasted on it for like months and um its bones formed what are called the talon gates in uh this island country of madara uh which lies in um the the giant supercontinent of jamura after that uh these primeval dragons took over and we don't really know where they came from they're these godlike dragons um with abilities over lesser dragons and they were all killed by these wizards called the numena which were like humans who basically stole that godlike power then we have the thran so the humans have taken over the world officially uh the thran were these amazing artificers who built these giant structures like the null sphere their problem though was they had this real sense of manifest destiny they thought they were better than everyone else and so uh this thran healer named yogmoth used that to his advantage to trick them all into basically becoming his slaves a thran planeswalker led him to this uh empty world of artifice called phyrexia uh, and he led his people there, and he he told them he was going to treat them all for this disease called pithesis that had been coming around. But instead, what he really did was start mutating them all into soldiers. So some of the Thran got wise to this, and the other races of the world got wise to Yagmoth. Uh, and the Thran-Phyrexia War happened. And at the end of the war, uh, the Thran's preeminent artificer, Glacian, who had these power stones... Uh, stabbed into him and like it started draining away pieces of his soul um he and his wife rebecca ended up sealing the portal to phyrexia just as one of yagmoth's um basically a, a nuclear bomb made of mana went off over the thran capital uh and thus started like a huge decline of the thran 
then we fast forward to Urza and Mishra, which was like 5,000 years later. They discover uh, the portal to Phyrexia, and they take those power stones that were used to seal it um, and inadvertently open the portal. Uh, and they, for decades, they start to go to war with each other. They find themselves at the head of uh, various countries uh, on this continent called Tercier. Ter- I never know how to pronounce that. <laughs> I don't, is it Tercier? Tercier? I don't know. Whatever. It, it's Tercier. I don't know. There's a lot of vowels in that one. Yeah. It's also the Brothers' War to to shorthand that. The Brothers' War. They it culminates on this island of Argoth, um, where. Uh, Urza realizes his brother has been um, transformed by Phyrexia into this machine creature uh, and he has come into possession of this magical Silex and he follows the instructions on the Silex to wipe the slate clean as it says Uh, what it ends up doing is creating this gigantic explosion which basically shatters the island of Argoth and ushers in this ice age so the Ice Age goes on for a few thousand years. And creates a And time creates rift. another time rift, right. The Ice Age goes on for a few thousand years. I think it's like two... It, it, it ends almost 3,000 years later. One of Urza's descendants, uh, a guy by the name of Joda, ends up fighting the necromancer Limdul um, right near the end of the Ice Age. Uh, but he's unable to defeat Limdul before Limdul's planeswalker patron, Lashrak, takes him away. Jaya Ballard enters into this. She's um, she's a lot like Chandra, except she's heard of subtlety before, subtlety before in her life. At the end of the Ice Age, the planeswalker Freilis summons Joda and Jaya together um, to help her cast this spell called the World Spell. Uh, like 3,000 years after the Ice Age happened. She finally ends the Ice Age, um, but all that snow suddenly melting creates what's called the Flood Age as sea levels start to rise again as all this ice disappears. And another time rift. And it creates... Was that one... I don't think the World Spell was the was a time rift, was it? The World Spell from... Or the Frey least caused time rift was the Soul Bomb. Was the Soul Bomb. Yeah, I okay. believe so. I'd, I'd just have to double check. I don't remember. Some yeah. of them are weird. Like, there were some events that I would think would cause a time rift, but yeah. didn't actually didn't, cause yeah. a time rift. So the, the Argoth... Check right now. I think the Yavamaya rift was caused by Argoth, the destruction of Argoth. Yes, but, um, yeah. Not the world spell. Although the world spell certainly could have made it worse. So anyway, Urza, um, he had been locked out from Dominaria for thousands of years. He finally returns uh, right after the Ice Age comes down, uh, the Ice Age ends. And uh, the first thing he does is he's insane for a little while. Um, And his friend Zancha, who is this Phyrexian newt, um, she ends up dying to save his life. And he uses her heartstone, which is basically a power stone that's implanted in a person, and it like drains away their soul and their essence, so that the two become inextricably linked, no matter how far away you are. And that's how uh, Yagmoth maintains control over most of his Phyrexians, is because he has their heartstones. But anyway, she dies. He builds a silver golem named Karn to help him with time travel experiments on this academy he founds uh, called the Talarian Academy on the island of Talaria. 
uh, and uses Zuncha's Heartstone to make give the the golem self awareness, uh, and he launches all of these different projects. Uh, he starts doing genetic experiments. He's he's experimenting with time travel. He's building uh, all sorts of different kinds of artifacts to fight Phyrexia in this time. And two of his students are uh, individuals by the name of Joira and Tefiri. Joira is of the Gitu tribe from Shiv, and Tefiri is from Zalfir on Jamora. Uh, so those two end up helping him for a very long time, until Tefiri eventually leaves. Uh, he ends up causing he ends up doing time uh, experiments of his own and causing the Mirage War by accidentally phasing out an entire island off the coast of Jamora and attracts these three uber-powerful wizards who are intrigued by the power given off by what he had done. Urza's greatest... I don't want to say greatest. Urza's plan was kind of a mess. He basically just collected artifacts of... (laughs) He basically just collected artifacts of power for thousands of years. And the one thing he built that was really original, I want to say, was the Weatherlight, which was built from the seed of one of the oldest trees in Yavamaya and the the strand metal that grows. Um, And he didn't know how any of his how any of these devices would fit together in the end he just called them his legacy uh but during the when frexia finally invaded dominaria uh the pieces of his legacy had started to combine together with karn and the weatherlight um and so when yagmoth himself appeared and manifested on dominaria um together the legacy what was called the legacy weapon was able to kill him um, and he died on Urborg and settled all his black magic all over Urborg and um, his artificial plane of wrath like pieces of it remain all over the all over the plane because it uh, overlaid onto Dominaria for his invasion. This is where a bunch of time rifts get created. This is yeah. Freyly's. Yeah, uh, Freyly's time rift. She she takes the uh, Sky Shroud Forest from Wrath and safely transplants it to the region of Keld on Dominaria. Right. And, and then there's another rift that's created when um, the, the stronghold, stronghold from Wrath yep. uh, comes on. And then Joira and Tefiri cause two because rather than helping Urza, who's this manipulative bastard, rather than helping him... Hey, we don't they, swear uh, on the show. Oh, I'm sorry. This manipulative jerk face. Um... <laughs> we can maybe they, they swear just kind on the of, show. They, they they basically just peace out. So yeah, <laughs> you know, Tefiri had it. phased out his island. He just did does it on mass and phases out Zalfir, his homeland, and uh, parts of Shiv, which is Joyra's homeland, and they're all just gone for a while. So then, after the Frexian invasion, um, like a hundred years later, Karn, who has as part of when the legacy uh, weapon goes off. He fuses with Urza's Power Stone eyes and becomes a, a planeswalker himself. Um, he, Karn sends back a probe called the Marari uh, to the continent of Otaria, uh, which basically kicks off this whole mess. Um, the Numena that I mentioned at the very beginning have begun to reincarnate themselves here, and everyone is after the Marari as a source of power. And what ends up happening is... Um, these three essentially uh, manifestations of Numena, the Numena fuse together and create uh, Corona, 
which is this false god who absorbs all of the plane's mana into herself. Now, she's eventually killed with the help of the Mirari. Um, but when she dies and releases all that mana back onto the plane, she creates this final rift that just starts sucking, slowly sucking all the mana dry out of the plane. And that's how, when we enter uh, Tefiri and Joyra again, uh, like 200 years after that, they return to Dominaria dying because almost all the mana has been drained. Uh, and so they go about sealing all of these rifts that have been created over the years, along with the help of Freilise, um and the likes of other planeswalkers like Lord Windgrace, Karn, among others. Um, Tefiri ends up losing his spark, or so we're led to believe at the time, um, sealing, uh, returning Shiv to Dominaria. I think Karn, as he loses his spark, sealing the Talarian Rift, he planes walks away, and the hint is that he's corrupted by a new uh, by a Frexian, uh, the Frexian oil that we'll see again in Scars of Mirrodin. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, they all get sealed, and uh, when the last rift is sealed, it creates w- the event known as the Mending, uh, which changed all these old godlike planeswalkers uh, to more mortal planeswalkers. Now. That was about 60 years ago in the story. So a lot of these characters are still around, still alive today. Um, what do you guys think? Did that did that about cover it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, You skipped over <laughs> Fallen Empires, but I'll forgive you. Oh, Fallen Empires. Well, I skipped over The Dark, too. Um, uh, no, and several other sets. But Don't worry, listeners. Okay. Nothing much important happens in those stories. They have a lot of cool flavor, but like... Yeah, not a lot of important things happen. Basically just the end of civilizations, as per the usual there. So, what we know about Dominaria is that Tefiri's back. He's potentially a planeswalker again, based on some packaging art. Yep, we see him. He is a uh, one of the planeswalker decks for the Dominaria set. So, he's at and least Carrie... getting a planeswalker card there. Right, and Carrie had noticed that... Um, Tefiri, when he was shown in uh, the Time Spiral block, had a broken staff, and it was mentioned that that was symbolic of him losing his spark. And so what do we see now, Gary? Um, His staff has been mended um, by a piece of red fabric that happens to look like another Planeswalker's piece of red fabric. Which we will get to in just a moment. That's right, Koth of the Hammer's back, baby. <laughs> no, Koth um, is not back, baby. That is an incorrect <laughs> statement. I assume. This is a podcast of lies. Uh, <laughs> so, that brings us to, to today, where we have... Um, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you should have some basic knowledge of what's going on today. Uh, where we just had Rivals of Ixalan end. Bolus mm-hmm. has acquired another piece of his grand plan, which is the Immortal Sun. Um, and Jace has just planeswalked uh, to Dominaria to meet up with the Gatewatch, who believe him dead because he's been gone for months. Uh, and he planeswalks onto something moving very, very fast, which we believe is the Weatherlight. I mean, it's, it's pretty obviously the Weatherlight. Yes. Yeah, it's a skyship zooming through the sky. Not much on... Uh, Dominari can move that fast. Not much on any plane can move that fast. That's true. It can go like it goes like jetliner speeds. Yeah. It's originally its top speed was 110 miles an hour, uh, and then it gets an upgrade during uh, the novel Wrath and Storm, which it, it doesn't quantify how much faster it is, but it's called much faster. 
and then it, during apocalypse it quadruples that so it can likely go over speeds of 500 miles an hour or more it's good it's pretty good pretty good speed pretty good clip um it's very- the crew we see on there are none of the returning crew so far we have <laughs> jaya ballard gideon jura um jason and a green pile if that counts a green puddle of goo oh so andrew yeah. this is the one you noticed um, yeah so but let me let me why don't i give the backstory real quick and then you can explain unless you want to do that well it's i think it's more fun when you explain first so uh there's there's a seemingly useless detail when jace planes walks onto the weather light that um he's standing in something like oozy and squishy um which isn't referenced in the rest of the scene at the end of the story um this but so so the, the 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 backstory here is that this might be squee who is a a goblin and was a, a cabin boy on the weather light who um was granted immortality by i, I believe directly by augment yes uh, so Krovax snapped his neck and then invoked Yagmoth. I literally just read it. That's the only okay. reason I remember. Um, snapped his neck and then uh, invoked Yagmoth uh, to resurrect him to okay. show to Gerard right. that so, he had power so, over life and death. Yeah. So w- what ends up happening is Yagmoth in inadvertently makes Squee immortal so that Krovax can kill him again and again and again, and that happens to Squee. He dies a thousand different ways. Um, but he always comes back. So now, uh, I mean, you know, uh, assuming the destruction of Yagmoth did not end that property, it potentially Squee is just still around, just still dying and coming back to life. Um, so I think it would be really funny if Jace just like supersonically planeswalked into Squee right. and like <laughs> smushed him, which like will be fine because Squee will just come back to life, but. I'm going to be very amused if it turns out that that's what Jace's first interaction with the Weatherlight crew is. It's pretty great. <laughs> um, so one of the other things, we mentioned that Gideon is on the Weatherlight, and he's all excited to see Jace, because you know, Gideon has some hardcore survivor's guilt from all his friends dying around him. Mm-hmm. So seeing that Jace didn't die on him like makes him emotional, and the two are about to have like a bro hug. Uh, and then this older woman interposes herself in between them uh, and says, who's the bookworm? Uh, and I think our current line of thought is that that's Jaya, because it's the yes. description m- it, matches it very It describes closely. her frizzy white long braid, uh, which is which is the same as an image we've seen um, was first revealed at Pax Unplugged of a, a woman with J.F. Ballard's goggles and um, a long white braid and the outfit of a monk of Carol Keep, which is where the the monastery of pyromancers that Jaya founded. Um, what? And this older woman, woman um, is very likely Jaya, and are, are we going to jump into the, the conspiracy theory, I guess? Yeah, we, we might as well jump into that, because we, um, we, we got led here already. So, so there's a good chance that not only is this character Shia Ballard, uh, the now elderly planeswalker, um, but that Jaya has been Mother Luti, 
the the head monk of Karokit the whole time. So um, Malaluti is a character that uh, first appeared in um, I'm blanking on the name of the novel. That's embarrassing. The Purifying Fire. Purifying Fire. Uh, thank you. Um, and then we've seen in Chandra's origin story, and then a couple of the Prelude stories before Battle for Zendikar. Um, you know, Luti's had uh, kind of kind of a snarky side, um, just like Jaya, um, but but as most importantly, like really encouraged Chandra, um, and basically taught her everything she knows, and has been real supportive of her planeswalking abilities. Um, so. It's, and knows way too much about planeswalking for how yeah, the the keep d- is described. So the reason why this sets off like red flags is the keep is supposedly Jaya didn't in, in like the keep's lore. The Jaya didn't found the keep. They just basically heard of her. She was on Ragatha a while ago, and they dedicated the monastery to her. But if that's the case, Mother Ludi knows way too much because she knows about planeswalkers. She knows about the nature of the blind eternities. She's constantly quoting Jaya um, in, the, in the kind of way, like a, a convenient quote for every occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just, it's just way too suspicious. And then we learn, not in the novel, but in one of the, um, one of the short stories, in one of the episodes of Magic Story, that Jaya Ballard's goggles are at the keep. Um, and the keep, the people at the keep, the Corallians all wear an outfit looking exactly like the Jaya Ballard we see in Dominaria. Um, and Jaya Ballard has those legendary goggles on her head at the time. Yep. Which so, is why we think these two characters are connected. Well, are the same person. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but which is a pretty uh, strong connection. It it is. It is a pretty <laughs> strong connection when we know that uh, there's an elderly woman who is the exact same age of this Jaya Ballard artwork we're seeing, who has access to those goggles and a relationship with Chandra. Um, and it, it, it would feel a little weird and if they were two different characters. And who technically has seen Jace before. And Gideon. And who technically has, yeah. Jace. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anybody had any hard feelings over that, because it was kind of a theft in the first place yeah. Gideon's would be more important yeah she uh, she has met them both when Jason Gideon uh, went to the keep before battle for Zendikar looking for uh, Chandra's help and Chandra oh yeah, yeah 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 I was still on dragon scroll theft yeah. but that was only for a few minutes and Jace looks way different now because he's like a beefcake That's now right. well he's not a beefcake he's just he's toned he's also like his his outfit's ruined he's not wearing a hood right now you know, you can't recognize them without a hood. Yeah. But that leads us to uh, what Carrie has been talking about for a while. Do you want to talk about Tefiri's staff? Oh, um, back in Time Spiral with... I believe it was Time Spiral, the actual set, because that is the first book in the series. Um, we get Tefiri as the legendary creature card when he has given up his spark as the flavor text indicates. And Matt Cavada back in that time was writing some flavorful articles for um, the Mothership. And in one of his articles, as an offhand comment, he says um, that the staff is symbolism for Tefiri's spark, its whole, and now it's broken in half in his art. And then returning to Dominaria in this set, we see in the key art and in his 
Planeswalker um, deck box art um, that his staff has been reconnected at the part where it had broken out during Time Spiral. Mm -hmm. So you can take that to mean that his Planeswalker spark is back, or you could look at the fact that he's on a Planeswalker deck box. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's, it's, there's a lot of deductive reasoning involved there, but we've, yeah. we've come to the appropriate conclusion, I think. Yeah. Yes. And um, it being mended with what appears as um, Jaya Ballard's little centerpiece um, on her outfit doesn't bode well in combination with other things that Jay and associates have noticed. Jaya's having a giveaway. Yeah, so yeah. Um, the other Dominaria Planeswalker deck uh, features Chandra, and her art on the card, she is has tr is now wearing Jaya's goggles instead of her own. So we see Jaya's scarf on Teferi's staff, um, Jaya's goggles on Chandra, and then if we look closely at the booster pack art that features Karn, you can see he's wearing a belt with um, kind of a circular fixture on it. Um, and in the art we've seen of what we believe is Jaya Ballard, um, we see that kind of sash with that circle billowing out from her outfit as well. So we have three other characters that appear to be wearing Jaya's clothes, which... and one of those characters wasn't a planeswalker and now is a planeswalker. So there's a chance we could be seeing a Jaya Ballard sacrifice play to I mean I mean we don't know what ends she'd be sacrificing herself for, but the fact that everyone else is getting her stuff means that she's probably doesn't need it anymore and that's uh it bodes poorly. It bodes yeah. poorly, yeah. When a friend in my group dies in um, PUBG, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, we go to their body and then we take the stuff we like from it. <laughs> so they're just looting her corpse. Yeah. Well, and this wouldn't be the first time we've seen this in Magic either. Um, a Johnny is still currently walking around with uh, Elspeth's cape. Um, after yeah, he had to and that's a that's a powerful bit of symbolism. Absolutely. Uh, so let's move on to some of the mysteries we've seen in Dominaria. The the pack art seems to indicate that that forward order from uh, Liliana's origin story is mm -hmm. coming back, uh, with a angel-like being and an Avon, both having similar patterns um, and outfits in there. Similar and colors. Then, yeah, it's similar so, colors. Yeah. So the forward order, we don't we don't know much about it. Um, all we know is that that's the side. So in Liliana's origin story, she's she's a healer, um, and her her dad's a, a king in Roseless Castle. But he's uh, embroiled in war against zombies and skin witches. But uh, his forces are are known as the Forward Order. Um, there's a cleric of the Forward Orders, uh, a card from from Magic Origins, and uh, it's it's standard. Um, is orange and yellow, which is a color motif we see on these two booster pack characters also. Um, and going back to Dominaria, Liliana's home plane, um, it's not a strong hint that this is the forward order, but I it's and I think it's a reasonable um, assumption to make at this stage. It's at least a clue and a potential uh, mystery solved. 
so we we should mention here that um, the reason why the forward order would make sense as a a player in Dominaria is mm-hmm. because the major villain is um, that we know of so far is Liliana's fourth demon Belzenlock, who is has taken control of the Cabal, and the Cabal is this nefarious organization. They're kind of like if you fused the Orzov and the Rakdos together. Yeah, they're... they're and they're into, like, dementia magic and things. They're like a cult, but not very secret. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so they they basically ran a, a huge chunk of Oteria. Um, and they they set up, like, a bunch of pit fights, but they, you know, they, they rule through fear and, and horrific mind magic and they were not great people. And opposing them on Ataria were the Order. Mm-hmm. So, And the Order was divided into the Northern Order and the Southern Order, who are located at you know, the northern and southern tip of the continent. So the, the idea here is that the Forward Order is another branch or an offshoot of the Order that's um, at, at odds with this new Cabal. Yep, and so we're about... To about 260 years after the events of Otaria. So, like, so we're at the point where you look back at Dominar's history, and that's not where we're picking up. We're picking up, like, like even after, I mean, we're still 60 years after Time Spiral. So, stuff on Dominaria isn't going to be the same as the last time we saw it, but it's going to be derived from what we saw before. So, so stuff won't be exactly the same, but it will be. Influenced. Uh, influenced by what came before. So, so, like, like we have um, New Benalia and the New Order of Sarah um, have been established um, and are back on the rise again, uh, partially during Time Spiral. And now, now that the plane has recovered, they're, like, potentially going to be real players in Dominaria. We should mention that the the reason we think this is um, so the original Benalia was largely destroyed in the Phyrexian invasion. Mm-hmm. When we see it again in Time Spiral, we have the card New Benalia, mm-hmm. which has these stained glass structures. Yes, the survivors from Sarah's realm, when the Weatherlight evacuated all the survivors, yeah, when it was destroyed millennia ago, um, they were resettled in Benalia. Uh, and on the times on one of the time spiral cards, there was a flavor text attributed to the new order of Sarah, which it had was not something we heard of before. Mm-hmm. So then, when we see art for Dominaria with very Sarah realm looking structures, yeah, but with this, the new Benalia stained glass style, this was another piece we, I we, think that was at uh, Pax Unplugged. Right, we that's why we think they've they've linked there. Yeah, so the the piece features another building with a lot of that stained glass. That was uh, featured in uh, New Benalian architecture, but it also has these floating islands, um, which are reminiscent of of what the landscape looked like in Sarah's realm. It was kind of a an angelic world, but with these island patches of lands. So let's talk about these mega structures, and then let's jump into Core Twenty Nineteen because we've we've talked a lot about Dominaria at this yep. point. So in the cover art. And in um, one of the other pieces of art that was revealed at, uh, I, I don't know where it's from exactly, it's a Jonas Stero piece, um, both of which have in the mountains in the background, kind of subtly blended in, 
but these very large mega structures which look artificial jutting out of a mountain out of a mountain landscape and so these are one of those things we have no idea what these are yeah, like, this these is, haven't been hinted at at all like this is the big mystery of of what the hell i'm pretty sure things? yeah if cryptoliths and um hedrons taught us anything yeah yeah <laughs> it is that big big structures that appear every so often are probably important to something yes so I think our our leading theory, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that these are Thran megastructures that were either buried um, uh, under mountains or deliberately uncovered in the recent history. The reason we think this is because they built things like the Null Sphere. The Null Sphere is so large that when it was shot into orbit, it appears to be one of Dominaria's moons. It's basically a um, Death Star. Right. Without the so, super laser part, but like that size-wise, like that's essentially what it is right right it was like it, enormous and it's kind of it's kind of backed up by the ancestral vision reprint yeah um where you oh, had confirmation from the creative tenement pretty sure kelly Diggs specifically that it was um inspired by it was potentially inspired by Thrain architecture so if they're going that hard on a visions reprint then i wouldn't be surprised if it was something related to um the current setting of dominaria yeah that makes it makes sense yeah i think um, and they're the only ones we know who've built things that big yeah and and as to how they're exposed so uh like one of the main things that happened during time spiral um and as the time risk drained man is that there, there was a buttload of erosion like entire mountains got worn down into like these these spired pillars um and entire landscapes got like turned to salt and blown away so it's potentially it's the the damage caused during the time spiral crisis that uncovered these huge structures or that as dominaria has recovered um and either scavengers or archaeologists have dug through looking to salvage um, you know whatever they can to rebuild the entire plane they have discovered purposefully discovered these huge things in the ground what are some of the other theories uh i think one was uh that they're remnants from wrath from the overlay yep. so yeah that was and so which would make them a frexian origin um which is scary but Karn's also involved in the story, so it might make sense. He's still scouring, you know, when he left uh, Mirrodin, which became Nephrexia last, he was going to look around the multiverse and make sure he didn't hunt. He was going to hunt down planes where he might have left Phyrexian corruption. Dominaria could very much be one of those planes, um, which could be why he's here. Um but yeah, the Wrathy overlay just dumped huge chunks of wrath all over Dominaria, um, kind of haphazardly. And these could just be remnants of Brexian things? Buildings? We don't really know. That's the mystery part. <laughs> I, th I think the, the, the issue with that is that Phyrexian things tend to be more horrific. These are more yeah. like. Yeah, these are like. Nicely really, designed. They're. Like, the, the one is kind of dome-shaped with these big curved grooves in it. Um, 
yeah, they don't read as Phyrexian. Um, yeah. Which I think is the main problem with that theory. But we can't really count it out until the set arrives. Carrie, did you have one you wanted to share? Oh, I have my my dumb one, which was the anchor <laughs> points. The, the um, what? The anchor points for bringing back the phased out portions, the permanently phased out portions oh, of gotcha. yeah. Jamura. But so 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 what that that theory I think posits that I think you can walk back on Tefiri having a spark because of fan demand. I don't know if you can walk back on the entire nation that was permanently phased out being not permanently phased out. Yeah. Um, without a lot of work, and this would be a lot of work, like having these structures built or uncovered for whatever purpose. Even if. Teferi got his Planeswalker Spark back. We don't even know if he would be powerful enough to do it. Yeah. Um, so these might be instruments to help him do it. Yeah, which means... So, that I, I guess the, the valuable part of that theory is that these could have been built by modern Dominarians, but then they'd be... It's contradictory to... Yeah, it's yeah. contradictory to the position that they're in, which yes. is being uncovered slash half submerged yeah. with dirt well also yeah, in, so. in the background and art implies that they are yeah. f- features of the landscape and not central like like especially because the book cover shows the the cover of the art book shows a castle in front which is obviously something built by dominarians and the superstructure is way in the landscape in the back um so i think i think it- that cover is a really cool thing to talk about because in the foreground you have this knight and next to him is this ancient statue head that's huge compared to him and then in the distance you've got this huge castle but then that castle is dwarfed by something even farther in the distance which are these mega structures and it really does a good job of illustrating the history aspect of dominaria Mm -hmm. yeah they like so we know this block uh, this block this set is gonna have uh, a huge nostalgia factor and how exactly it's gonna play with that we're not sure yet this plane is gonna feel old and I think the superstructures right now are really selling that yeah of having something a visual reminder there that there's millennia of history okay uh, let's move to so Carrie you're the one who originally alerted us to this whole nexus stuff do you want to talk um, about what you're thinking for Dominaria and the Nexus? Very careful reading. Basically that it hasn't been... We haven't been reminded that it's the Nexus. And Can you explain what the Nexus is first? Oh, I'm like sure I have an idea. Um, the, <laughs> Nexus is, the Nexus is very loose understanding, would be the center of the multiverse. Um, why it was ever important, it seemed, was that it could be negatively affected i.e. in the time spiral block um, all those rifts went wild all the cataclysms had manifested themselves as those rifts and it needed to be dealt with or else it would have um, negative effects on other planes because it's at the center it would ripple outwards but yeah that was pretty much um, entirely for when we were spending 15, 10 to 15 years on the same plane, so of course it would be important. And we haven't really been reminded of its status as a Nexus. Nobody's talked about it, but the one time we did get discussion of the Nexus was when Mark Rosewater accidentally revealed that one of the potential endings to 
the implicit maze on Ravnica was storyboarded to be it becoming the center of the multiverse. Ravnica would become the nexus. Which would make sense. Which um, has implications for Nicol Bolas's plans. Yes, if it was an important spot in the multiverse for planeswalkers being drawn to, then it'd be a good place to start a master plan. Or just recruit people. It's really just whatever you want it to be um, as the center of the multiverse. But in the story Stone and Blood, released during the Eldritch Moon? Shadows over Innistrad or Eldritch Moon? I think it was um, Eldritch Moon, yeah. Storyline. Um, the flashback to a year prior, when Nahiri was released from the Hell Vault, she has a specific line in the story. Um, when she realizes that, quote, the blind eternities were less connected to this place than they had been when she arrived, the shape of the universe had changed while she fell off. She could feel it. So, what that means exactly, the shape of the universe changing, is kind of a nonsensical thing to throw in, mm -hmm. but we know that the multiverse is generally a static map of planes. Um, we know that Chandelar is the exception to that, is that it's a rogue plane. It's emphasized in pretty much every Duels of the Planeswalker game that it's a free-roaming plane, mm -hmm. um, all the way from the original Chandelar comics to now, um, that it gets to roam wherever it wants through the multiverse. Which was even, um, a, but otherwise, which was even a whole yeah. plot device uh, back in yeah. the <laughs> story. Um. Yeah. But um, it, having a static shape, it shouldn't change that static shape unless it was potentially realigning itself and if it was potentially realigning itself or realigning the nexus of the multiverse as a plot device then um it would make sense to for her to note that <laughs> because there would be a distance difference between Innistrad as she had noted and other planes so that and the potential new importance of Ravnica brings us to uh what we learned from Rivals of Ixalan which I think we all really suspected is that Bolas is aiming for Ravnica for some reason. Yep. Well, um, we're explicitly told he's aiming for Ravnica. Well, true, true. Uh, so that brings us to Core 2019, which we've only learned two things about it. One, the key art is Nicol Bolas himself, which is suspicious. And two, the only other art revealed has been Tezzeret, and Tezzeret's the Planeswalker deck. What's interesting about that is it shows Tezzeret in the exact outfit he was in for his Agent of Bolas incarnation on Alara, which is, well, the only time we knew he was back on Alara is the gloriously bad Test of Metal novel, um, where he was tasked with hunting down uh, the source of Ethereum for Nicol Bolas, and there were a whole bunch of like weird shenanigans I don't think we need to get into here. Nope. But the, re <laughs> the reason uh, I bring that up is because it really seems to indicate that um, Core 2019 might be a Nicol Bolas plans deck, uh, deck. <laughs> story, um, where we finally get like the background of what he was up to for all these sort of mystery boxes that have been set up, mm -hmm. including him over the years, just in time for a fall Ravnica set that we believe is coming. Yeah. So if you know if the fall setters Ravnica and the culmination of Bolus's uh, postmenic plots, then it makes sense to have 
um, a corset, which obviously has no planar or temporal restrictions for storytelling, to kind of highlight and and show us, the players, the audience, um, kind of all the pieces of his plan and how this has all come together over the years, just to kind of catch everyone up before the big final part of the plan happens later this year. And it can also be, you know, not only does it help player understanding, but it sets up a lot of dramatic irony, because we'll know more than the Gatewatch does when they go into face bonus. For the first time ever, basically. Because we have seen, like, three or four years with the new cast. We would, maybe even five years, Bolas would just be involved in everything, and we had never learned why. Yeah, And now it's ten years later, (laughs) and we really want to know why. Like, so from... Kicking it off with shards of Alara, but but even he like, like he disappears during periods in the time spiral novels where we don't know what he's up to. Then shards of Alara, and then you know he's implied to be behind all the events in the original Zendikar block. He sends Tezzeret to New Frexia. Um, we know he sends Tezzeret after Crucius in Testamental. Yeah, um, he's behind the Infinite Consortium. Uh, on Ravnica, that's from Agents of Artifice. Uh, we know he brokered Liliana's demonic packs, uh, which happened in her story. We don't we don't know exactly when that happened, but kind of before the main chunk of the the current story happened. Um, we we now know he's working with Ral Zarek on Ravnica. Um, so he's, he's he's after the Planar Bridge. He created the Lazatep zombies. Yep. the Eternals on. Uh, he He's just went after got the this Immortal ancient Sun. rivalry with uh, Ugin, which is what the whole Immortal Sun plan was built to stop. And now he wants the sun. Boldos wants the sun, and we don't know exactly why. So they, there's, you know, he has seemingly endless plot threads just kind of dangling. And uh, you know, the, the the last two years we've seen a, a lot of things being started to be tied together. Um, and I, I. I think core 19 is going to be when we we really start to see the tapestry of bolus's plans laid out you know the if if you think back on it the things some of the weird things he was sent out for like that he sent tezzeret for he sent tezzeret to new phyrexia and everyone thinks it has to do with the phyrexians Mm -hmm. but the phyrexians had the original phyrexians had portal technology Mm -hmm. and memnarch had created the soul traps to bring people to mirrodin in the first place so one of our thoughts is that he was that that was the first attempt at finding that interplanar technology. Yeah, there's uh, there's some flavor texts and, and some some pieces that talk about the Nufrexians. Uh, you know, they, they know there are other worlds out there and they want to go conquer them. And it's implied that they're trying to reverse engineer the soul traps to be portals that they could bloop armies across the multiverse. And then we've got Testa Metal, uh, where he's after the secrets of Ethereum. And that makes a lot more sense if he is looking for a living metal to be able to encase people in. Kind of like one of the things that tipped me off to the Eternals in the first place as being Bolas's plan was the similarity of a design to the Aether likes from the um, Liches, yeah. Esper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Ethereum is another one of those metals that you would be able to encase this army in and make this living army 
So if those, it makes a lot more sense if those were the kinds of things he was after over the years. And it would just be cool to see confirmation of what he has been up to. Yeah. Basically, when we're delved in this deep to this stuff and we can't find all the connections, your average story fan who plays the core set isn't going to know that many connections. So using that as an opportunity to lay it all out there mm-hmm. works. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, well, it's, it's great from an engaged Vorthos perspective because we get to see everything and we know how it all connects and we really get to delve into all the little payoffs and it's good for the not invested Vorthos because they get to see all the same things we do that way everybody knows what the hell is going on which is good yeah we are kind of it we are kind of insanely invested in this compared to the average reader so you know not very many people are picking up the um, Project Lightning Bug similarities to the Etheric Compass uh, <laughs> and things along those lines. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be nice to get it all laid out. And really, you know, we were originally thinking this would be a villain set, but given that Bolus is the key art, it's got to have something to do with him. He's got to be important to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, um, that that about does it today. Thank you all for for tuning in and listening to us ramble for almost an hour here. Uh, can I get any final thoughts from from you all? Um, so, Andrew, do you have any final thoughts you wanted to to mention before we close out? Dominar is going to be exciting. There's there's a lot of characters involved. There's a lot of plot threads involved. It's going to be really interesting. To, like, so there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of plot threads, and Dominaria itself has a lot of nostalgic things could appear in the set so i'm really interested in seeing how creative seeing what creative chose to highlight in the set for dominari's past and how they're going to start weaving all these people and events together in this upcoming story i think we're going to have a lot to talk about on this podcast once the set is revealed um, <laughs> I, I know I'm going to have like, I, I'm going to have at least three or four articles just talking about the flavor of the cards. So Carrie, do you have anything you wanted to add? I'm just going to say it. I know you all don't want to hear it. Karn in that art, what he's reading, it's probably going to be Commodore Guff's journal. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's, he's getting a sneak peek at how it ends. <laughs> the editing process. Yeah. Oh my god, Commodore Guff. I'm just reading him, and he is a he's a special guy. I have lived on all the excerpts you've sent me so far. <laughs> Commodore Guff is this planeswalker from um, the Phyrexian Invasion who was basically a parody of one of the editors at the time, to the point where he brings up non-disclosure agreements, um, and he brings up the editorial process, and you know just basically breaks the fourth wall to hell. Uh, and anyway, uh, thanks again for listening. This has been Jay Anelli, Andrew Weisel, and Carrie Thomas.